Okay, so today's daf is Pezayin in Yoma. We are on Pevav Amud Bet. We are 10 lines from the bottom of the Amud where it says Shenei Parnasim. It's about uh, towards the end of the line where it says Shenei Parnasim Tovim Amdu Lahem Yisrael. There were two great leaders of Israel, Moshe and David. Moshe Amar Yekatev Suchani. Moshe said, I want the bad thing that I did to be written. I want you to write what I did wrong. Because whenever it mentions that Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to enter Eretz Israel, it always mentions why. Because he failed with the sin of Meim um, But David said, no, I want you to hide my sin. Because it says in Tehilim, happy is the person whose sin is forgiven and whose sin is hidden. Right? Now, why would that be? Mashal de Moshe vidavid Now, really, I think probably they take out the word vidavid. Yeah, it says it's not in all of the manuscripts because it's really more about Moshe than it is about David, the following Mashal. That There were two women who were both getting whipped in the Betin for different reasons. One was involved in promiscuity and the other one ate unripened fruits of Shavuot because you're not allowed, just like you're allowed, not allowed to sell, you're not allowed to uh, sell the, um, to do business, I should say, commercial bi- activity with the, um, with the fruits of, of Shemitah, you're also not allowed to eat them before they're ripe. In other words, you're only supposed to eat them and you're supposed to eat them when they are in the proper state to be eaten. So eating them too early, Pagesh Shavuot means a person ate unripe. So it's like destroying the fruits of Shemitah. Now obviously the more, uh, uh, I guess the less, uh, the more dishonorable action of the two of promiscuity versus eating figs of the shvi'it, you know, the first one is more embarrassing. So, so the girl who uh, is getting punished because she ate this perot uh, shvi'it, she said, she said, please let everyone know why I'm being whipped. Because you don't want to say, people to think that I'm being punished for the same thing that this other girl is a woman of ill repute and uh, doing bad things. I just ate some fruit that I wasn't supposed to, so I don't want people to think that's so, so too. So, uh, so therefore, they brought these fruits of shvi'it and they hung it on her neck. And they were announcing that she's getting punished for the fact that she ate these fruits of Shvi'id. Now the point is that Moshe Rabbeinu also, if he were just condemned not to enter Eretz Yisrael, so maybe you'll think it's because he believed uh, the report of the Raglim or he did something else bad. So therefore every time the Torah mentions that he's not going into Eretz Yisrael, it mentions that it was only because of this one sin that he did um, so that he shouldn't have the embarrassment of, you know, the assumption that he did something else wrong. Of course, the Mepharshim go and make out of his one sin five million uh, different things that he did wrong. So uh, that's another thing. But anyway, um, and that's what some of the Mepharshim say, you know, from this one sin that Hashem wanted to minimize it, the Mepharshim made more sins for Moshe Rabbeinu than any other person. That's it. They talk about that. But anyhow, Mepharshimid et hanefin. We reveal the hypocrites. In other words, if there are people who pretend to be righteous, but really they are uh, fakers, we, we want to make it known. Because otherwise it will be a desecration of Hashem's name. And there are two ways it will be a desecration of Hashem's name. One is because people might listen to them and learn from them and follow them and not realizing that they are fakers and uh, you know, will be misled and taken advantage of. That's one reason. But the other Chilul Hashem involved is that if bad things happen to this person, um, uh, Rashi mentions both of these things. One is that people will learn from him because they'll think he's legit. The other one is that when bad things happen to him, they'll say, oh, why is he being punished? He's such a righteous person. It must be that Hashem is not just. You know, instead of realizing that the person really isn't that great. It says that when the righteous person 
Uh, if a righteous person abandons righteousness and does evil, I will put a stumbling block in front of him. So the um, so Rashi says that it means that Hashem will bring about a situation where uh, he will do something that will reveal his uh, you know his uh, hypocrisy to everyone, so that people will not think that he is more than he is. You know, and we know that. Because corrupt. Uh, the Chilul Hashem is that people think that they're great and then they do bad things. And people say, oh, well, I guess the Torah is not that great because this person, like we talked about on the previous da. <clears throat> but the, but, the, um, but the, the Rashi adds in another piece that when bad things happen, they'll think, instead of assuming that the person deserved it, they'll assume that God is unjust. But you're right, sometimes you don't understand why God's actions anyway. But people will tend to think that. People, people will think, oh, this bad thing happened, well, he must have deserved it. You know, that's, that's how people will, will think. But you're right, it's not a, we know that that's not always the case. Anyway, even the tshuva of people who are truly bad people, he says, total, uh, totally wicked, can prevent punishment from happen- happening that would otherwise be decreed. And if they do tshuva, it will prevent the punishment. Even though there is a, already a decree passed, that bad things should happen, <coughs> they, they could be saved if they do tshuva. The comfort of the wicked person ends in, in, uh, in downfall. In other words, because he becomes comfortable. As she says, because they sit and they have more time on their hands. In other words, a wicked person who's very busy has less time to uh, get into trouble. Yeah, so they say idle hands are the uh, tools of the devil, right? The person who has... Uh, isn't, that's not a Jewish saying, it's an English saying, but the idea is the same. That um, Yeah, but yeah, it brings to Avera, it's true. So that we do have the concept in Judaism, but the saying is, that the, the catchy saying is the, uh, in English, but the, the, the point is that if, a, per, if a, w- a wicked person has too much time on their hands and they get themselves into more trouble, if they stay busy, it's better for them, right? Leadership, positions of leadership, bury those who have them. In other words, a person who's in a position of leadership will die earlier. That's why they say that Yosef died before all of his brothers because he had the political, the weight of the political leadership on his back. Um, and then it says, So the simple meaning here in the context is that a person who enters a position who, of leadership goes in naked, comes out naked, meaning he goes in as he, and leaves without gaining anything. He doesn't really gain anything from the position. Some people interpret it as meaning uh, that it means a person comes into the world without anything and leaves without anything. But I think that because of the context, we'll see that really it's referring to the leadership because it says, if only they leave as clean as they came in. In other words, when the person came into leadership, maybe they were innocent. So it's saying the best case scenario is that they leave without having become worse. It has, it, they're not going to become any better. The best case scenario is that they're not any worse. Because you see that most people have elevated to positions of leadership. Look what happened to Shaul. I'm, it doesn't say this in the Gemara, but I'm just saying, look what happened to Shaul. 
Hamelech, how he became, you know, he became, it was a disaster, but he would have just been a tzaddik if he had lived a normal life. Look what happened to David, would have been a great tzaddik, but the trouble that he got into was a function of his position of leadership. And even Yerovam ben Nevat, the rabbis say he was a great Talmud Chacham and a tzaddik, and he was chosen by the Navid to be the leader of the northern kingdom, and he became uh, one of the most wicked people because he wanted to hold on to his power. So power is bad. If a person could get in and out of it unscathed, that's about as best, the best they can hope for. Forget about hoping to become out better. That's, that's what it's saying. It's a, it's a kind of a cynical view. Now it says, Rav, when Rav would go out to serve as a judge, which was kind of a leadership because you're telling people what to do, right? Uh, so he said, he would say this, he's going out to be killed of his own volition, meaning I'm putting myself in danger from my own choice. I'm going to do this to, to be involved in judgment because the point is that if you make a mistake, you know, you, you bring upon yourself punishment if you, uh, you know, because if, um, if you make an error and you cause other people harm, you're going to be responsible for that. And he says, And he's not taking care of his own house. And he's going to come back home empty-handed. And if only he comes back as uh, untainted as he goes out, meaning the best I can hope for, I'm doing this, resp- I'm taking this responsibility upon myself. It's a thankless job, we would call it, meaning I have no benefit. I'm not going to end up taking care of my family because he's not going to make any money from the judgment because at most, at most, they would get but most of the time, if they didn't have a, uh, they didn't always take it, meaning definitely not bribes. So, and they weren't salaried. So at most, if they had another job that they had to leave in order to come judge, so they would get money for that, but it was very minimal. It was like, they'd pay them a very minimal uh, token amount, like what you get when you serve on the jury in America, you know, big, big bucks. Oh, a couple of dollars a day or whatever it is. That's what we'd get. So he's saying, I'm not really taking care of my house. I'm the only, and I'm just putting myself in harm, in harm's way, right? Rava, now this, this segment, some people take out because it's basically a repeat of what it just said, but referring to Rava instead of Rav. So some people take it out of the Gemara altogether because um, it's going to say, the, it says in, in Masechet Sanhedrin and in, in, the, in Yaakov where they have these uh, stories, it doesn't appear. But same thing, same exact thing that he said, I don't get anything out of it and at, at the very least I just have to hope that I won't be harmed by being in this position of authority, that I make mistakes and cause myself harm. When you would see a group of people following behind him. Now, either this is talking, if we take out the part about Rava from the Gemara, then this is talking about Rav. If it's talking about the, la, if that part about Rava belongs here, then it is going to be about Rava, right? Meaning if he had a group that was following this entourage, following him, that even if the person reaches to heavens, in other words, he would see himself being treated with such kavod. He would say, if the person reaches uh, to the high, his, you know, his high point to the heavens and his head reaches the clouds, he will, he will, be, he will disappear like uh, dung. And, uh, and the people who see him will say, who is he? In other words, people are, where is, where is he? Meaning he'll be forgotten. So as great as it might seem that I am right now, that I'm being treated with such kavod, I know that it's all fleeting and meaningless. Now, Rav Zutra, when they would lift him up because they would have to lift him up to get to the place where he was going to give his shiur on the Shabbat of the regular. This is Shabbat usually before the holiday where they would have big drashot to prepare people for the holidays. So they would carry him past the people so that he wouldn't have to step over everybody because everybody would be like, it would be like, you know, outside probably, you know, sitting on the grass or whatever. So they would lift him up on some kind of a thing and, and carry him up to the front so that he could get there easily. And he would say, Kilo olam chosen. He would say that strength is not forever. 
Um, and, and, and a crown is, is not from generation to generation, meaning that he would, they would remind themselves to stay humble. Don't feel like you're such a big shot because you're treating you with this kavod. And in these psukim, they would say to remind themselves to stay humble. Now, it says to uh, literally, means to favor a wicked person. The literal meaning is to favor a wicked person. Because means to treat somebody with, you know, favor- favorably, more favorably, let's say, to get, treat them. Huh? Give good. Right. But meaning this, what it means, literally, in the context, it means treat them better. That's why I'm saying, li- literally, it sounds like it means to look at them, but I'm saying what it, right. But the but technically, laset panim is an is an idiom in Hebrew, which means to treat somebody with favoritism, a positive favoritism, right? So the literal meaning is don't favor them, don't be nice to them. Okay. Now, what what's the context? So it's so. What's the Gemara going to do with this pasuk? Rather, so it says, lo, so it says, So you might think it means it's not good because it doesn't benefit society. But it says, no. It's not good for the wicked people that were nice to them in this world because take Achav for example, Achav who was going to have a, a decree upon him after he arranged for the murder of Navot and for taking the uh, vineyard of Navot that he wanted so much, right? But then when the Navi confronts him, he is humbled and he fasts and he tears his garment and whatever, right? So it says, yeah, and then Hashem decides to give him a reprieve. I think it should be, uh, what is the actual language of the Pasuk? It's, it's messed up here. Right, right, it's milifanai, right? Right, right, because so, right, so, right, so, it says, It says it twice, right? It says it twice. So it's a little bit confusing which part of the Pasuk it's, being, it's referring to. That's why you have that in the parentheses there. But the point is, I'm not going to bring evil in his days. Rather, it's going to come in the days of his son. In other words, Hashem said that because he showed some contrition, some embarrassment at what he had done and he felt bad so therefore Hashem gave him a reprieve and said the bad thing is going to happen in the days of his son but the problem is that because of that he didn't um, because he's given a reprieve in this world so the uh, you know that enables him to go on to uh, worse things in other words, the, the fact is that giving the, giving the person a reprieve in this world means that now he's going to continue on in his path. He's not going to have to worry anymore. And maybe he would have had a better, better olam haba, would have improved himself if he did have to deal with some trouble. But instead, Hashem spares him the trouble. It's not necessarily good to spare him the trouble for his own sake, meaning, right? Reprieve is a, a break from it. I don't know how to, how to translate, but lo Now it's at, now the end of the pasuk is lahatot tzadik mishpat. Now, that's the end of that pasuk. It says, um, now that's the whole pasuk, meaning that in the context what the pasuk means is don't favor the wicked person in judgment, which would mean to direct the judgment against the person who's actually innocent, right? Means to mistreat the person who's a tzaddik. Because in a court case, whenever the Tanakh speaks about a court dispute, it calls the person who wins the tzaddik. 
and it calls the person who loses the rasha. It doesn't mean that they're actually a bad person or a good person, right? But the Gemara, a lot of times in Rashot, interprets it more literally as a tzaddik and a rasha. But really, whenever somebody loses a case, they're called a rasha. Like when it talks about, in the, when it talks about, uh, you know, a dispute between two people, and it says, v'itzdikwet tzaddik, rasha. So the literal meaning is that two people come to court, v'itzdikwet tzaddik, they find one person is vindicated, I guess we would say, in the judgment. Right, it's dikuetadid. They they said that he, he he was right, and the other one is rasha, meaning he's guilty or he loses. Right, he loses in the verdict. So it doesn't literally mean that he's a rasha. That's so the meaning of the pasuk is that. But it says the the rasha uses the word tov on both sides. It says it says sepnei rasha lo tov, and it also says lo tov lehatot tzadik b'mishpat that the two things. Um, it, or, or I'm sorry, it says tov, right? It says, it takes the word tov, um, lehatot, tzadik bamishpat. In other words, it takes the word tov and it applies it also to the latter part of the, um, of the pasuk, that it's good the ju- for the judgment to be negative on the tzadikim. How so? Tov lehem, but tzadikim panim It's good for the tzadikim that they suffer in this world and they don't get a, a special treatment because tov lehem, moshe, shelo nasu lo panim ba'olam hazeh, shneo yandu lehem, mantem bi, laaktisheni. Right, so it says that um, that if the person uh, that that uh, it, what it means is that it was good for Moshe that he didn't have a, 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 a he wasn't forgiven in this world because if he had been uh, if he had been forgiven then he wouldn't have been, his time would not have come to uh, to leave the world. In other words, seemingly what that means is that. Um, it was better for him that he leave at that time. What is it? What does he say here? Right. Right. I guess it means he gets to go about faster, and he wouldn't have to have more. Uh, he wouldn't have to stretch out his career longer than he wanted to. That's what it seems like, right? That's the shot of it. That meaning he, the fact that he gets to retire early was good for him. Goes to Olam Haba, retire early, less problems, career ends. You know, it's not so bad for Moshe Rabbeinu that he has to end at that point and that Hashem didn't, give him, didn't forgive him because that way he's able to conclude his career. That uh, not only do the tzaddikim do good for themselves, but they cause zechut for their children and children's children until the end of all the generations. Because Aaron had other sons that would have been burned just like Nadav and Avihu, and obviously it must be talking about Elazar and Nitamar because those are the only ones he had, meaning they weren't so great either. Because they're referred to as the leftover ones, meaning they were spared a fate that they too could have suffered. But their father's zechut protected them. Not only do the wicked cause themselves harm, but they cause harm for their descendants as well. Because it says, Because look, there are some descendants of Kena'an, of Ham, who are great, like Tavi, the servant of Rabban Gamliel. But the uh, wickedness of their ancestors caused them to be in a position that uh, Tavi is a slave, instead of Tavi being a tzaddik. It was a tzaddik, even says, Right, Rabban Gamliel says, look at Tavi, the Tamil Chacham, even though he was a slave, meaning he, was, he ended up being disadvantaged because of the choices of his ancestors. That was the position he was in, even though he could have been a great person, he had great merit otherwise, right? So that shows you how the choices we make really affect the future generations beyond 
what we uh, what we can see beyond what we imagine. Anybody who co- brings zechut to the community, in other words, who caused the community to do mitzvot, no chet will come to him. In other words, Hashem will prevent him from doing a sin. The word kimad is taken out in most of the yirsaot. A person who who causes others to sin, Hashem is not going to help him do teshuva. Why? What's the reason why if you help others to do mitzvot, Hashem doesn't want you to do a sin? Because it would be pretty sad if your students, meaning the people that you benefited and you got them to do mitzvot, they're going to go to Gan Eden. And you, because you fell into sin, you're going to go to Gehinam. That's not nice for the teacher to have to be in Gehinam. And although, although, most, although most schools are, are like that, the teachers are in Gehinam and the students are in Gan Eden, but you know, but I guess it's not good in Olam Habat to be like that, right? Shinemar, Kilot Azov Navjil because don't leave my soul, soul to the uh, to the to the pit, right? Don't allow me to see destruction. In other words, it wouldn't be nice for the one who brought about all the good to himself uh, suffer. Similarly, the other way around. If you cause everyone to do sins, it wouldn't be right for you to be sitting in Gan Eden. That you led everybody to destruction and you get to sit in Gan Eden. It says that if a person who is, uh, is bad, so in that case, it says he's Ashuk He's like, uh, um, he's culpable for the, uh, for these souls that he caused harm to them, right? He's going to run into the pit. They will, not, they will not support him. In other words, he's not going to be saved from the pit. Hashem will let him fall into sin so that he doesn't sit there, you know, it's like certain people. I was trying to think of an example of this, but I could think of one actually. There are certain people who have long beards and black hats and they're very holy and they sit in a kolel all day and they give hechsher to places that are not kosher, right? They give these fake... They give these hechsherim, I'm not going to mention names on a re- public recording, but, you know, there are certain hechsherim that everyone knows they're not really good. They're not, they're, they person, they don't, they're not checked and they're not up to standard and they're not really supervised well. And they get, even the kosher laws of New York, they get cited for violations all the time, even by those standards, you know, and that these people that sit in a kolen, they have a long, you could see them, they look very religious, they have a long beard and tzitzit and very religious, but they cause other people to, uh, Stew sins. You know, so what, that, this is what I'm talking about. The person who was giving a chicken that was not kosher for matzah. Oh, yeah, there you go. I never gave any chicken that was not kosher. At least that, not that I know of. I never gave any chicken at all. So I couldn't have done it. You know, so, but, um, but yeah, that's it. The, the, the point is that a person could be, in a posi- be very religious in other ways and think, oh, I'm going to be saved. But meanwhile, they're doing, you know, they're machtiyat arabim. They, they shouldn't, shouldn't be that they're, you know, they could say, well, that's their problem that they're following the bad uh, things that I gave them. You know, they should uh, check it themselves and find out that it's not good. You know, why is it my problem? You know, or that, that kind of logic. In any case... A person says, I will sin and, and do tshuva later. No problem, I'll sin and do tshuva later. Why does it say twice? Why does it say in the Mishnah that the person says, I'm going to sin and do tshuva twice? And if he does that, Hashem's not going to give him the ability to do tshuva. Why? Like Rav said in the name of Rav. And I think it takes out the name of Rav in some versions, right? Yeah, some don't have the word Amarav, okay. This is a very famous statement. If a person does a sin once and they do it twice, it becomes permitted for him. Don't get the wrong idea. Really, if I do a sin twice, it becomes permitted. And this is a, a psychological, psychologically very true. Yeah, what? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's very true. A person does something the first time, they feel guilty. 
the second time they do it already, they became desensitized to the guilt. And also they have to, in order to live with themselves, they have to justify it, they have to rationalize it, they have to just sort of accept it. They, and, and so a person who does a sin more than one, it's like a person could try to be for some, very careful about something. The first time they do it, they feel guilty, but then after the second time, they already start to feel, ah, it's not such a big deal. And that's exactly what it says. So one, if, 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 yeah, I've heard that before, yeah. Similarly, if a person says, I will sin and Yom Kippur will cover for it, it will not cover for it. Does that mean that our Mishnah doesn't follow Rabbi as we learned in the beginning of this, uh, of this whole segment? Didn't Rabbi, Rabbi Udanasi himself say that if a, any sin that you do, Yom Kippur covers for it, even if you didn't do Teshuvah? There's a difference between any, you could do any sin and Yom Kippur could fix it or could give you a, uh, an atonement for it despite the fact that you didn't do Chuvan. As I had mentioned in the show the other day, that means that Rabbi understands that the Kapara of Yom Kippur is a communal Kapara. It's not individual. As the Tosfot Yishanim also says, it doesn't mean it gives you a complete Kapara as an individual. It means that it gives you a Kapara as part of the Bnei as a part part of the Jewish people, there's some atonement that you get, not full. But the point is, if you're using Yom Kippur to justify your sin, oh, I'm going to sin now because I know Yom Kippur is coming up, we're going to clear my record on Yom Kippur, then there Hashem is not going to let you use Yom Kippur for that because you're basically hijacking Yom Kippur, the opposite of what it's supposed to be because Yom Kippur is supposed to be a day where you, you improve yourself and you realize what you did wrong. Not a way to use as a loophole that, oh, since Yom Kippur is coming up, therefore I should get all my sins in now because, you know. Yeah, they, they, they have, they, somebody once said that, you know, somebody once said that to be a good Christian, you have to sin a lot because otherwise Jesus died for nothing, you know? Since he died for your sins, you should sin a lot, you know? So that way he, had, you, he has a reason that he, died, that he died, you know? But, uh, it, but that, that's like Yom Kippur said, I should sin a lot because then Yom Kippur, I have a lot to say, I'm sorry, otherwise it's going to be boring. During the Tvila, what am, what am I going to say this? It's going to be a lot. Yeah, do yeah. it'll alive. be very, very boring. You know, I didn't do it. So, yeah, but the point is that you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't say it, yeah. Yeah, it's going for nothing. This, this ear will say, I'm dying for nothing. Yeah. Anyway, so we know that Yom Kippur covers for the sins that are between you and Hashem, not the ones that are between you and others, right? So Rami Bar Rav Yosef Bar Chavu asked Rabbi Abahu or showed him the following contradiction between two, uh, two th- sources, and, and it says in the Bach, it should say Tnan here, right? He showed a contradiction that and right? Doesn't it say, this is a Pasuk in Shmuel, actually. He says, you're telling me that sins that I do with, towards another person, Yom Kippur doesn't cover. But it says in the Pasuk, when Eli talked to his sons, he said, if a person sins to another person, God can, what, can, can uh, you can appease Hashem for that, right? The pasuk is that if, if a person sins to another person, God can be appeased, or you can, you can, you know, work it out. But if you pray to Hashem, I mean, if you sin against Hashem, who's going to pray for you? Meaning, if you sin against, the implication of the pasuk is, if you sin against another person, maybe God will help you out. But if you sin against Hashem, who are you going to turn to? You sinned against Hashem. Right? It's if you sin against your benefactor, now, you're, now what are you going to do now? If you have somebody who helps you out all the time and you get into trouble, you can ask them. But if, you, if you're in trouble with them, there's nothing you can do. Right? That's what it seems like the pasuk means. So the pasuk implies that if you sinned against another person, you can turn to God. 
So how are you telling me that I can't judge? I says, no, 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 that's not what it means. It means man Elohim dayana. What it means is the judge, the human judge, because Elohim can sometimes mean the judge, right? So it means that if you have a dispute with another person, you go to the judge and the judge will work things out, will judge between you. But if you, but if you sin against God, what are you going to do? So it says, if that's true, so then what does it mean at the end of the Pasuk when it says, if you sin against Hashem, if you're telling me that the word pileler means judge, what do you mean? Who's going to judge you? If you're going to interpret the pasuk that the word lefalel, right? Like tefillah means judge. So you're saying, well, it means that if you have a dispute with another person, you go to the judge. And if, if, but if you sin against Hashem, mi palelo, who's going to, who's going to judge you? Well, of course, Hashem's going to judge you. So what kind of, the pasuk doesn't make any sense then. Because you're saying if you have a dispute with another person, you'll go to a human judge. So why are you asking who's going to judge you if you sin against Hashem? Obviously, Hashem's going to judge you. So the pasuk doesn't make any sense. Rather, hachikamar im Meaning, it, uh, meaning, if you go, if you, if you sin against a person, and you appease the person, it means, means to appease. If you appease him, then if a person sins against Hashem, who is going to pray for him? In other words, the point is that if a person um, doesn't do teshuvah, how is he going to appease Hashem? So if, you, in other words, the pasuk is not contradicting our idea. What it's saying is that if you go ufililo and you appease the person you hurt, then Elohim yimchol, God will forgive you. But if you uh, caused, meaning you sinned against God, what are you going to do? Right? In that case, you don't have any way to appease Hashem if you haven't improved yourself. Teshuvah ma'asim tovim. The only solution is teshuvah ma'asim tovim is if you repent and you do good things. That's the only way you can correct it between you and God. But the point is that that doesn't mean that you don't have to, in other words, whatever party you harmed, you have to appease them. Either the human being, if it's against a person, or Hashem, so to speak, you appease him. You know, obviously he's not a person, but you have to correct your ways in the eyes of God. If a person upsets someone, even with words, so he has to appease him and make up with him. As it says in the Pasuk he said, now literally what this is talking about, in the literal context of Mishlei, what it's talking about is you should never become a guarantor for anyone. Mishlei is very big on this. Don't ever be a guarantor for anybody. Like Mishlei talks about that all the time because there's zero benefit and it's all liability, 100% liability. You have zero benefit from being guarantor for someone. I'm sure as a financial person, you could probably back it's that up, right? Sometimes parents will do that. They co-sign on think That's a different story. It's talking about, it's giving you practical advice. You could be, you can, you can sacrifice yourself, but it's saying, you, you shook your hand, meaning for, for a stranger, meaning you're, you're helping somebody else out. Uh, right? It says, you caught yourself in the words of your mouth. Now it's skipping part of the Pasuk, but then it says, right? So it says, this is what you should do. You save yourself. Really what it's saying is that a person should, um, that a person should get themselves out of it. So means that you should go and uh, convince your friend to release you, basically, from the, um, from the agreement that you had. A person should try to get out of any agreement in which it's all liability and no benefit for them and no protection for them. Because liability is unlimited, basically. I mean, I guess it is somewhat limited, but, you know, it's, 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 they have zero benefit. So that's the literal meaning of the Pazuk. But now it's talking about, it's focusing on a drasha. You got caught up in the words of your mouth, meaning you harmed somebody with the words of your mouth. Okay, it says you should go. It's taking it to mean you should go and make up with your friend. 
Mean im yemamon yesh biyadcha hatel opisat yad. Hitrapes it's saying is open your hand. Hitrapes it's taking to mean to um to open pas yad right pisat yad. You should open your hand and give him the money back if you if you owe him money. Im lav harbel avreim. If not, you should bring a lot of friends. But the point is that, um, and that's what it means, you should have means lots of friends, meaning you should bring a group and apologize to him. So if you hurt him with money, you should pay him back. If you hurt him with words, you should go and, and uh, correct things verbally in the presence of friends. That's the idea. Now let's just say, You should have three rows of three people. And as the Pasuk says, now obviously that's talking about an ideal, not everybody's going to be able to do that, but it means that, you know, you should go, I guess, that would be the maximum, right? It says, Literally he's saying you should, li- that he's taking the word Yashor to mean to line up. And say, I, uh, I sinned and what was straight, I, I ruined. Uh, and it was, it was not worth anything to me, right? In other words, you go and you say to the person, you go and you admit that, uh, that you made a mistake. And, um, and it says it three times because it's saying that the three times means three rows with three people. Um, you go with an entourage to, uh, to uh, apologize to the, uh, uh, to the person. Rashi says, It means three times you should go with three people each time, not three people in each row, That's but meaning, right? It says, Saying it's one row, but three people. So it means that there's three, there's, uh, there are three rows in the sense that there are three people, one, I guess, behind, standing behind you. Right? So they say if three times you ask for mechila, then they don't, you don't need them. They're going to say that. You shouldn't do more than three, it's going to say. But now it's saying you and should do shlosha, 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 sounds like it means nine people, but actually it means three, according to Rashi at least, according to Rashi, it means three people in addition to you. Because, well, it says, it says, shlosha anashim pam. Three times, three, three people each time. That's the way Rashi says here. And... So they, they learned that from uh, the brothers of Yosef after the father passed away. Right, because, yeah, it's just going to say that soon. It didn't no, say that yet. Sorry. Right? It wouldn't get up to that yet, did we? No. no. Right. Yeah, so then it says, uh, it should say, but when, it's, when it takes out the vav, it means that it considers it a new idea. Right? Means, uh, means in, uh, <coughs> means in, uh, <coughs> in Aramaic, uh, like, please, yeah. So, uh, you shouldn't do it more than three times. Because the brothers asked Yosef three times to forgive them. So that shows you should go only three times. Now, there's a whole argument about whether that means there's an actual maximum or that means that you don't need to go more than three times. Some say you shouldn't do it more than three times. But we're going to see in the Gemara later, it's going to talk about people who went many times. So maybe it's just telling you that you are not obligated to go more than three times. If the person that you, um, you wanted forgiveness from dies, you should bring ten men, bring them to the grave. That you should say, I sinned to Hashem, the God of Israel, and to so-and-so that I sinned against him, I harmed him. Now, interestingly, the way, especially the way the Rambam codifies this in Hilchot Teshuvah, he's very, if you look at his language, very carefully he says, you don't say this to the dead person, right? He says, you say, I sinned, you say before the people, I sinned to this person. Meaning that part of your Teshuvah, see, there's two elements in Lefayeset Chavero, there's two, ele- yeah, there's two elements in Lefayeset Chavero. One is that you harmed him and you have to correct the harm. 
So if you took money, you have to repay money. And if you took dignity from the person you hurt their feelings, you have to try to heal their feelings. That's one part. But if they died already, and you, if, the, if you owe money, so you pay the heirs of the person. But if you, you can't f- fix their feelings anymore because they're gone. So it says what you do. But there's another part of, of uh, appeasing the person, which is part of your own teshuvah is that you are showing respect to the person and that you corrected your own bad midah and that you humble yourself in the process. So you're humbling yourself in front of these 10 people by saying, I sinned to Hashem and to this person that I did a bad thing. You can't, re- you can't correct things with that person anymore because they're no longer here. But what you can do is you can humble yourself because part of when you mistreat somebody is that a lack of humility. So you humble yourself. So that's, that's the way the, the Rambam is very, if you read the Rambam's language, and even here, it doesn't say you say to him. It says you say, I sinned to so-and-so and to this person. Right? He's talking about another third person. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you have to say what it is. Yeah. Now, Rabbi Yirmiya havale miltal Rabbi Abba abadei. So it says that um, Rabbi Yirmiya had an issue, or, or I should say Rabbi Abba had an issue with him. Azal eteva dashad Rabbi Abba. He wanted to go and ask forgiveness from Rabbi Abba, but bahadei dishadiyah amte maya, matal zosifei de maya oresha. He's sitting there outside waiting to have his audience with Rabbi Abba to ask for forgiveness. And meanwhile, the maid takes the bucket of dirty water and throws it and it goes all over Rabbi Yirmiya. So he gets, uh, he gets a, be- a free shower. Amar Asauni Ka'ashpai said, they made me into a, du- a dung heap, basically. They threw the garbage on me. Karan Nafshei Me'ashpot Yerim Evyon. Right? From the, from, the, from the garbage, from the dump, they lift up the Evyon. Now they say Yirmiya. You know, then his name Yirmiyahu. Hashem lifts me up. Yerim. You know, the Harim. Right? So he lifted me up. Now, so then Rabbi Abba heard a commotion outside. He goes, Now I'm the one who has to say, I'm sorry to you. Because it says you have to go and make up with and make amends with your friends. Because since I caused you this indignity, now I have to ask you to forgive me. So, that, so now it's uh, the, um, the balance has changed. And originally Rabbi Yirmiya owed an apology to Rabbi Abba, but now Rabbi Abba feels bad and he owes an apology to Rabbi Yirmiya, even though it obviously was not his fault. Now Rabbi Zera, when Rabbi Zera had an issue with somebody, meaning when he knew somebody had offended him, he would make himself available, meaning he would make sure to be around their area and be uh, walking around and learning there. Um, and over uh, Vishonet says, and he would go around, <coughs> they would see him and they would he would be there and they would have the opportunity if they wanted to go and say they were sorry. This is, a, a, I think, a pretty well-known story that Rav once had an issue with a certain shochet. This is very common for some reason, like rabbis and, and shochetim always having disputes. There's stories about Rav Avadia also in Egypt that he had this one shochet that he had a conflict and the guy almost came and killed him one time. Is it size? Yeah. They, they, because Sometimes. because the rabbis would supervise, yeah, because of kashrut issues, and they would they would disqualify some of their work. And like that. there's a famous story about Rabbi the guy came and wanted to kill him. It's just, it's pretty scary. Even after he moved to, went back to Israel, the guy followed him. It was those scary stories about that. Anyway, so the, but this was the original story, right? But so it happened that lo um, this butcher never came to uh, ask for forgiveness from Rav. So therefore, he said, you know what? He said, you know what? I'm going to go apologize to him. Meaning, I'm going to be the good guy. I'm going to be the bigger person. And even though he's the one who offended me, I'm going to go and I'm going to be nice to him. And I'm going to, I'm going to open up the lines of communication. 
On the way, so Ravuna, Marlele, Chaka Azil Mor, where's the master going today? Amarlele, Fiusele Plani, I'm going to apologize and make up with this so and so, this butcher. Amar, Azil Abale Miktal Navsha, you're going to kill somebody then. Meaning, this guy is going to end up getting punished because you know he's going to be disrespectful to you and he's, he's going to die. So, so it happened. Azal Vekam Ilave, he went and stood next to him. Havayati Vekam Falei he was uh, slicing up the heads of animals and he doing his butchering work. And he looks up and he sees Rav. That was his first name. So Rav Huna called him Abba out of respect. Like Kavod, but his actual name was Abba. So he's like calling him by his first name and saying, Abba. Uh, he said, Abba, are you Abba? Get out of here. I don't have anything to do with you. Meaning the butcher kicks him out. He doesn't want to talk to him. On Erev Yom Kippur, that's what he did. While he was still slicing up the head, a bone shot out from the head, went into his throat and killed him. So that was exactly what Rav Huna predicted would happen because this guy was a rude guy and was disrespectful. One time Rav was reading Sukim in front of Rabbi. What they would have was, they would have, it says either of Nevi'im or Ketuvim, they would be reciting Sukim. So they would have a student read the Sukim and then the rabbi would would, you know, interpret it and do, do, do a drasha. So he was reading the Pesukim and Atar Rabbi Chia, Rabbi Chia, who was like second in command to Rabbi Yudah Nasi came in. So what did Rav do? Hadar Lereisha, he started over again because he said, I probably also wanted to hear the Pesukim. Then Ayol Bar Kapara, Bar Kapara, another big shot. He's, he's even in Pituma Ketoret. You know that he must be a big shot. Right? Hadar Lereisha, he went back to the beginning again. So every time a new big rabbi comes in, he starts the reading again so the new big rabbi can hear the whole thing. But Atar um, Rabbi Shimon Berebi. Then Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi, came and had the So already, every time he's going back and reading it all over again, that's already a third time he's done it back over again. Atar Rabbi Chanina. But then Rabbi Chanina Bar Chama came in. And, uh, and, and then he said, Amar Kulei Hai Na'adervin Ezel. Am I going to repeat it again and again? Oh man, it's enough is enough. So he didn't. Lo Adar. So he didn't repeat it for Rabbi Chanina. And Ikpid Rabbi Chanina. Rabbi Chanina was offended. Like, oh, everyone else, you repeat the psukim, But me, you show that I'm lesser. I'm not as important. Azal Rav Legabet Telesar Malay Yomei De Kippurei. 13 years every, every, every Yom Kippur. And again, sometimes the word 13, 12, 7 could be an exaggeration. But it means year after year after year, he went to apologize to him. And he would not. And he never would forgive him. Yeah, how could he do that? First of all, the question is, didn't we say before that you're not supposed to go ask for mechila more than three times? Rav Shani, the Rav was different. Now, there are two interpretations of what that means. Either that means that he was especially, it was midar chasidut, meaning you don't have to go more than three times, but if you really want to, you can go as many times as you want if you really want to. That's the way that Rashi interprets it, it seems like. But the way that the Rambam and others have a text that is different, that it means Rabbo Shani. Since he was a teacher of his, when it comes to your teacher, it says even a hundred times, even a thousand times you have to go because you can't assume. In other words, anyone else, you're allowed to assume after you ask them three times, the guy's just a jerk. You know, he doesn't want to forgive me. It's his sin. It's his problem. He doesn't, he doesn't want to forgive me. So it's on him. But with your teacher, you're not allowed to assume that. You're not allowed to assume such a disrespectful... That itself is disrespectful. Oh, he has a psychological problem. He doesn't want to forgive me. Not allowed to think that. So he has to keep going 
and asking him for forgiveness because Rabbo Shani, that's what the Rambam has also. Rabbi Chanina, but what about Rabbi Chanina? How could he be so unforgiving? Didn't Anybody who forgives, Hashem forgives them, you know? Isn't that the right thing to do? Rabbi Chanina saw a dream, Lerav. That he was hanging from a dekel, from a pot, from a tree. Ugmiri, and we have a tradition to call the zakvu b'diklaroi Anybody who's hanging from a tree like that in a dream, it means that they're going to be the ruler, right? Amar shema minai said from that we know So he saw that he was going to be put in a position of leadership and therefore. Um, he didn't want him to rise up to prominence and to greatness. He wanted to not forgive him. So he wouldn't be able to rise up to prominence. And that way he would go to Bavil and learn more Torah. Now the Rashi, inter- Rashi interprets this as a political move. Meaning that since Rabbi Chanina was the leader and he didn't want Rav to come in and push him out. He knew that if he forgave him, that would give Rav now the legitimacy to be able to rise up and push him out. And since Hashem will never allow one leader to replace another until the former one is done, so that would mean that he would die, basically, so that Rav could take over. He didn't want that to happen, so he was holding it over his head. That's how Rashi interprets it. The Gra and others have a more charitable interpretation that what it meant was he didn't want to give him the headache of being the leader. He said, I'd rather him get fr- so frustrated that I don't forgive him that he goes to Bavil and learns more Torah rather than become a leader, which is just going to be a bigger trouble for him and is going to lower him. So he was actually, he was already in the position. He didn't have a choice. So he's like, look, I don't want the same thing to come. Like every rabbi that asked me, should I become a, uh, should I become a rabbi? You know, I said, look, I don't want you to have the same problems that I have. This is the, you know, I say, let me give you a good advice. Become a businessman, become a doctor, yeah. something. But the, become, a, become a shochet, it's much more exciting. Grass is always good yeah. on the side. No, I would say, no, because a lot of people that go into the rabbinate think that it's mainly about sitting and learning all the time. But it's really, you know, especially a, a pulpit rabbi, it's, much of it is, you know, communal. It's, it's, it's very... Uh, it's very demanding. So people don't realize that it's very demanding. And especially back then when they were already really like political leaders. They weren't just, they weren't just religious leaders. Anyway, and that, be that as it may. The mitzvah of vidui on Erev Yom Kippur is really at Arvit. It's at night. But the rabbi said a person should do vidui even before they eat on Erev Yom Kippur. That's why we always have early mincha on Erev Yom Kippur, right? Why? Because... Because because uh, maybe he's going his mind will be messed up in the Sudan. Now what that means is a, a, meaning that he's going to drink a little bit too much, and then by the time he gets to Kol Nidre, it's going to be he's not going to have full concentration. Right? Okay. Yeah. Well, they did. That's what they did. So um, the concern would be that his mind would not be in the right place by the time he came to do the the tefillah. Now, according to there's another girsa. Yeah, well, there's another girsa that says that it means Shema Ye'erad Vartakala, something bad will happen during the meal, meaning that he'll, right, maybe he'll get sick or he'll die. Rashi, right, Rambam says Shema Ye'chanek, maybe he will, he will, he will be, he'll choke, or, meaning anything could happen during the meal, maybe that would cause him not to be able to make it. So therefore, since Erev Yom Kippur says, Lifnei Hashem Titaru, even before the time 
we, you know, you can, you can purify yourself. So therefore, wants to take advantage of it even before that. Even though, in other words, the question is, why do we have so many viduyim on Yom Kippur? How many times can you say, you know, bagadno? So it says, even though he did it on Erev Yom Kippur, then at Arvid, he has to do it again. Because maybe he did a sin during the meal. Even though he did it at, in Kol Nidre, he does it in Shacharit. Right? Even though, and then even though, Shacharit um, Musav, Musav Again and again and again, he does vidui um, one after another because he always might have done some sin in between. Nobody is perfect. And in other words, the point is, if you're just repeating the same thing again and again, and you did complete teshuvah the first time, then what's the point in repeating it again and again, right? But the point is that at any moment there could be some sins involved. Where do you say the vidui? The individual says it at the end of his tefillah, right? We say it at the end after we've completed the shmona. But the shleich tibur says it as part of the bacha of the middle of the Amidah. He doesn't say it at the end. My Amar, what does he say in the video? Amar Av, Atayodeo Azeolam. Right, that's, we, should, you, we know that actually, right? We know that Atayodeo Azeolam, we even say it um, during the week sometimes, right? Ushmuel Amar, Mimam Makelev. Nobody knows what this prayer is. This is the only one of the pieces of tefillah that we don't know what it is. We have no, it didn't make it into our machzor at all. So we don't know what it is. We just know that it's a tefillah. Ve'levi amar u'batratchak katuv le'mor. And that's talking about kivayom azeh chaper lechem l'tertchem kochatotechem l'fnei Hashem tetaro, which of course we have in our tefillah. Ve'levi yochanan amar ribon ha'olamim. Lo al tzidkotenu, anachnu mapilim tachanunenu lefanecha, etc. Must be talking about, right? So that part is in our tefillah as well, right? Rabbi Yehuda Amar, ki avonotenu abulim milimnot, vechatotenu atzmu misaper. These are all lines that they would input in that our sins have become too great for us to count um, and, and to enumerate. These are all components that made it in one place or another into the machzor, except for Shmuel's that we don't have any uh, leftover of it. Rav Hamnuna Amar, and this also is in ours, and this I guess will be the last thing maybe we'll say, that uh, this part is also at the end of our, uh, our Amidot of Yom Kippur. Eloi, ad kedai. Before I was created, I was not worthy, meaning I was insignificant. Now that I was created, it's as if I were not. I was dust in my life. I'm dust in my life. Certainly, all the more so in my death. I am before you like a vessel filled with embarrassment and shame. May it be your will that I not sin. We have shelo od, right? And whatever, or we have brachamecha. So I'm reading what it says in our machzor, even though it doesn't say that here. It just says brachamecha, right? And what I sent, um, erase with in your mercy of a low aliyadei but not through um, any kind of suffering. This piece was said by Rava all year round, right? I mean, he said, Right? And, uh, and uh, that was said only by, uh, only on Yom Kippur. And then said, um, Okay, we'll see, we'll see that next time. We'll go into that part next time. But the point is that these pieces of the vidui, we have them in our Yom Kippur liturgy even today. So you see how much of it is based on really ancient texts going all the way back to the Gemara times that we have in our Machsun. Pretty interesting.